welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, Journey of Film and Faith. I'm your host, Michael McDonald. And I'm Seth Steele. And this week, we'll be discussing Disney animated classics, uh, specifically some of the things that we grew up with and uh, talking about their impact on our you know, lives growing up and mm-hmm. kind of what Disney means as a company to us. But first, if you weren't following True Myth Media on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you might have missed reviews for Robin Hood, The Constant Gardener, Mulan, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and The Ghost Rider. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those movies are the ones that we're going to be talking about today. Heck yeah. Uh, I thought that I would uh, bring up real quick, though, a... Uh, news item. I don't know a ton about this yet. Uh, I just saw it like flash across my radar through Relevant Magazine because I read through their stuff every once in a while. But uh, apparently there is a movie in the works right now that uh, is about a couple of either brothers or friends who they basically hatch a plan to make a lot of money because they're struggling filmmakers Yeah, by making a Christian film. Okay. Because they were like, hey, we don't need to make a good film. <laughs> we can just make a Christian <laughs> film. And uh, I guess it caught a lot of flack online. Uh, people were kind of criticizing the uh, the filmmakers. I think saying, that's kind of a funny gimmick, actually. Yeah, and they were and they were like talking because it's supposed to be a parody film. Yeah. And uh, people were like, "Oh, you know, you guys are just making fun of Christians, and this isn't, you know, you know that kind of thing." And uh, the directors actually uh, kind of slap back with uh, the fact that they were Christian that they are Christians and mm-hmm. that's why they wanted to make the film is because uh it directly addresses the things that they felt growing up in uh the Christian community. That's really awesome actually. Yeah, and I'm actually kind of excited to learn more about this movie and check it out, but yeah. I I thought I would mention it cuz it's kind of goes along with Yeah, it our, kind of fits in our vein. Yeah, here. <laughs> like that's kind of how we feel. Yeah. Um, that's why we do this podcast is because, uh, we want to talk about like serious film criticism and apply that across the board, even to Christian movies. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Are you, you said you're interested in seeing that too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it could be kind of like Camp Mana. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too, where it, it like kind of rides the borderline of like uh secular and Christian films where it's like, yeah, it kind of where it's coming fits from the best of both worlds. It's kind of coming from in-house. Yes. Um, poking fun at yourselves. I remember growing up, my dad had a book. It was called Growing Up Born Again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would use the acronym, the uh, acronym uh, Gooba for growing up born again. Okay. And it was a, uh, it was a satire. It was just like a funny book about all of the, like a guide to being a born again Christian. So there were like sections of it that were about, uh, you know, not playing with cards or dice because those are the devil's gambling, gambling thing. Like and, yeah. and, uh, it's a, and it's got like a little footnote on there and it's like, you know, well, what about games like Monopoly? You know, they use dice and he says, and the the answer to that criticism was like, well, dice should never be used as an end themselves. As long as they're a means to another <laughs> game, they're all right. It's, it's like all the little like quirks that you can use to make certain things okay or something. Yeah. And the, like you, the way to justify stuff. Yeah. I feel and like, like uh, talking about, uh, you know, the, the various types of foods that are acceptable at a potluck, uh, you know, <laughs> things like that. It's just a really, really funny book. And I feel like. 
That's movie, pretty much what this movie is. A be. movie like Camp Mana is like that, and hopefully this movie would be like that too. And especially if it's about the film industry, uh, it could be right up my alley. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna be. Uh, Keeping my eye on that one, uh, definitely, as it goes forward. Heck yeah, that sounds awesome. (laughs) All right, so we're going to get right into our discussion of Disney movies. Heck yeah. So um, I can never remember how old you are, uh, Seth, compared (laughs) to me. Because, like, we grew up in slightly different, uh, you know, kind of Disney eras. Yeah, I'm seven years younger than you, I think. Okay. um, Yeah, so I grew up in the 90s. Uh, like I, I was born in 90, so yeah. I and I was like... born in 82. Yep. So like, uh, a lot of the Disney movies that I like are the like late eighties, early nineties ones. Mm-hmm. Like when you get into the mid to late nineties, I'm in middle school and think Disney is for babies. Yeah. No, no. I understand <laughs> Um, now, I... now I'm over that, but yeah, you know, no, no, you no go, I felt the same way go, during, you go through that like 10 year phase where you get really uppity about kids things. Yeah. I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> I don't want to watch Elmo and Grouchland, <laughs> like, stuff like that. Yeah. I remember literally having an argument with my parents about that movie specifically. So, um, yeah, but, um, no, 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 I definitely understand that. Um, I feel like I yeah the the two thousands are kind of the movies where I don't remember any Disney movies that came out during the two thousands, um, but now uh, I've started watching like the Pixar movies and stuff like yep. that again. Like I paid to go see Incredibles last year. Yeah, um, like some of them are still my favorite movies. Well, I know we talked about like doing a Pixar series in like next month or the I month think after it is next month remember. actually. And yeah, because like I I think I'll. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but, like, Toy Story is mm-hmm. the first VHS I ever bought. Okay, yeah. Uh, like, for myself. Okay, you know? yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I Toy Story is really, like, tor- – I feel like because Toy Story came out when it did in my, like, development, mm-hmm. it's like I turned off Disney movies and turned on the anima- the 3D animated ones. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like uh, – like, I don't know if you talked about this in any of your reviews, but I'm kind of wondering now if there's going to be a disconnect between, like, the 40s, 50s, 60s uh, Disney stuff and uh, modern audiences. Like, I'm wondering mm-hmm. uh, kids today who grow up on uh, Inside Out and Brave and, like, looking at this absolutely gorgeous 3D animation, are they going to be able to go back and watch Robin Hood which, uh, in my opinion, like, when I was a kid, I loved that movie. And then going back yeah. again, I was like, wow, this is actually, like, there are a lot of scenes where it's just two characters talking. And, like, a lot of the jokes are, like, wordplay and stuff that would definitely go over kids' heads yeah, nowadays. Yeah, I felt like that watching Sleeping Beauty, too, mm-hmm. uh, where, like, Sleeping Beauty is a really be- interesting film. It's a gorgeous film. film. It's, it's, it is, like... Every storybook that you can think of, like growing up, like the I kind of the I don't know, almost like the platonic ideal of a European fantasy fairy tale movie. Yeah, it has all the elements. It has like uh the princess in the castle, it has the uh the dragon, the, the returning it's got prince, the evil it's got sword. the evil queen. Yep, yeah, exactly. It's got all of that stuff in it. Fairies and magic. It, and it's like the animation in it is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. so iconic looking. Like there are moments in that film that I was like, dude, I might just like make a poster out of that someday. Cause, yeah. Uh, like especially like the prince riding up to that dragon. To the dragon and is stuff great. Is yeah. a really great one. All the thorns in the background and yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, it's awesome. But as a film, even at 
you know, I'm a mature adult. Well, mm-hmm. some would argue not mature, but <laughs> <laughs> I I found myself kind of like, oh, this part's a little boring. Yeah. You know, like the – and the parts that I found that were boring were the parts that are geared towards kids mm-hmm. because the songs aren't fun. Like kind of the modern Disney classic ones are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're very choral and uh, like choral and like – classical feeling uh yeah it's just kind of like like, it's not an exciting yeah it's just kind of of like a yeah a very simple beat that they follow a very simple pattern and usually the songs they don't necessarily sound like exactly the same but they will sound similar or you have heard like the themes repeated in other disney movies too i've found yeah but well i don't know some of the newer ones are also like a lot of the magic and stuff like the fairies in uh sleeping beauty you know they use it for things like cleaning and stuff like that and uh, I don't think kids are <laughs> as excited. Like I can understand like in the fifties, like when you're helping your mom and yeah, you know, there was a lot stuff. more of a, like parents teaching their kids to upkeep a home mm-hmm. that like parents don't quite do as much anymore. Yeah. And you could see like a kid being like, Oh, wouldn't it be great if I could just do my chores with a snap, you know? And like, there's, I think there's more of a disconnect now with that. And I wonder if in the future people will feel that way about like the little mermaid. Oh, I feel that way about The Little Mermaid now, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, like, I guess going back, because I reviewed two films for this, and I think you reviewed two films as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we honestly... But we know the movies. It's yeah, not like, I mean... It's not like... I uh, Sleeping Beauty is the only one I hadn't seen before okay. that I reviewed, but... Yeah, I mean, most like... Most of these are ones that I've we've talked about yeah and i mean we haven't done a ton of disney movies before this as far as reviews Mm -hmm. go we could honestly probably come back in another year and go over disney movies again (laughs) um because the ones that we covered are like very narrow um like i reviewed mulan and uh robin hood and previously for the site i had reviewed sword in the stone um and i think those are the only disney movies i've reviewed for the site so far other than like some studio ghibli stuff if you count that but um, and I know you did Beauty and the Beast and Sleeping Beauty. And yeah. Have you reviewed? I know you've done like some kids movies before, but another one or not? I don't think I have. Okay, yeah. So we haven't done a ton of Disney stuff on the show so far. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it would be kind of interesting to talk about. Uh, like, let's just get the conversation the started the with like what our favorite ones are. Maybe yeah. some of like what of our least favorite ones are. Let's start with least favorite. Do you have a least favorite like kind of one that you feel like if this movie dropped off the face of the earth, I'd be all right with it? Um, I mean, there's some like uh, I can't the three birds, whatever they were. I can't even remember the name of it. It might have just been like the three amigos or whatever, but they were like singing brothers down in oh, Mexico or I don't whatever. I remember that one. Um, I remember watching that one once over at an ex-girlfriend's house and being like, this is stupid. And she yeah. was like, this is what I grew up on. And I was like, oh, I messed up there. I feel so- like we're about to have this same conversation because like for me, man, it's Robin Hood. Yeah. And I actually, I didn't watch it growing up. Yeah. Really. Uh, the music didn't appeal to me that much. The characters didn't grab me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've talked about before how, um, like at a pretty early age, I got exposed to Zorro through like this TNT, uh, like the TV show, show or something. Yeah, the okay. TV show. Yeah. And to me, Robin Hood has always been just like the less cool Zorro. Yeah, I like Robin Hood was definitely one of the ones that I grew up on. And that's why I actually went back to go review it because I had loved it as a child. And actually, like I own the Blu-ray and I hadn't watched it in like 15, 20 years. Um, But 
going back to it, it's it's a lot slower. Like I said earlier, it's a lot yeah. slower. It's a lot of just like characters talking in the woods. Um, and yeah, a lot of the magic isn't fun anymore. There's a scene at the very beginning where Robin Hood and little John rob, um, the Prince. Uh, and that's probably the best part of the whole movie is when they're like <laughs> dressed up as fortune tellers and it's like actually and that's, funny. That's like the part that I remember. Yeah. And it's like best. actually a funny part. Like these guys are playing a joke. They're doing something a little bit silly. Um, there's a lot of like wacky hijinks that happens. And then after that scene, it really slows down. Um, and there are like three or four set pieces where I could point to and be like, yeah, this is a great scene. And then the rest of the movie is already a blank for me. And I watched it last week. So like, there's just, there's a bunch of stuff where nothing happens. I feel like that's kind of how I felt about, uh, I remembered what the other one that I've reviewed is, is, uh, Dumbo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Dumbo, I, I'm kind of disappointed to hear that the Tim Burton one is not that great because mm-hmm. I felt like it was full of opportunity yeah. because so little happens in the movie yeah. <laughs> that like you could really build out the bones of that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like instead of doing that, he – instead of building – like making that bare bones part more full, he like just went further with it and kind almost – ignored the, like the original story. story almost okay um yeah the songs are not fun uh really in that movie the there's just long scenes of where i feel like this was kind of the early the early age of disney where the focus was really on the animation you went to a disney movie because the animation was so much better than anyone else was doing mm-hmm. um so to see that in a feature film form mm-hmm. was interesting and like you would it, it didn't have to be uh kind of like our modern like blockbuster of uh things always like being crazy and stuff mm-hmm. like i don't know i think that that when i think of like the modern and they're not even that modern anymore because they're like from the late 80s and 90s like the modern disney classics mm-hmm like what we think of when we say like Disney princesses and things like that, uh, those are really where the storytelling um, became as important or more important than the animation. Uh, yeah, I would kind of agree. Like, I yeah, I think like the, the 90s and the 80s are probably the movies that I gravitate towards most. And that might just be because that's when that's I was when born. Grew, yeah. Um, and that's when I grew up with them. But I honestly find like Mulan, I, I rewatched that and I still love it. Um, like I gave it a 4.5 stars. I didn't see that one till cause that was like pretty much the break point for me. Yeah. It was right around Mulan. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see that till I was an adult and I liked it. Yeah. I, I still think it's a very well done movie. Um, there's I think a it's lot got of some excitement of the best in songs it. in yeah. the Disney canon are from yeah. that one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, the be a man song is probably the oh, yeah. song it, that I've sung the most well, in my it entire life. All the time. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like how many memes have like our moon tranquil reference. as a forest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, no, um, I still love that. I think Eddie Murphy is a great sidekick for that uh, yeah. character. I think the animation Eddie Murphy's in, best as a sidekick. He really is. He's best as an animated side <laughs> character flavor. when I don't have He's to look at his face. <laughs> like, Ouch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have to think of Pluto Nash anymore after this. <laughs> it's just, I'm sorry. 
sorry. <laughs> no, I do like Shrek a lot, though. Like, Shrek is great, too. Yeah, The first great. two are he's, really good. Yeah, he's great as a sidekick. I know that's <laughs> DreamWorks, and we'll get back over to Mulan here. But, uh, no, Mulan is awesome, too. I love the uh, animation right there. They were starting to use uh, 2D and 3D animation. Um, I think they might have done it in Beauty and the Beast. Yep, Beauty actually, and the Beast too. was the first, uh, the first one where they uh, like they're dancing l- and leaned the... in hard on that. Like, yeah, I remember even on the VHS tape there was like a special feature like after the uh, after the credits where they talked about like the computer generation and stuff okay. that they did for uh, like that dance sequence and the yeah. compositing and all that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, there's there's uh, that that scene looks awesome in Beauty and the Beast still. Yeah. Um, but it looks absolutely fantastic in Mulan. There's a part where uh, the Huns charge down a mountain yes. towards um, like five people standing there, and it is that like the is most so epic shot in the world. Um, I honestly think that it probably inspired the charge of the Rohirrim uh, at Helm's Deep at the very end when Gandalf oh, is riding yeah. down towards that. the. Uh, Towards the orcs, um, just because the way that it's framed is very similar. But, uh, yeah, I love that scene so much. Um, I, I think the way that the movie concludes is very nice, too. I think the way that, that uh, in Mulan, also the way that they use, uh, like, Chinese, uh, for lack of a better word, like, motifs and uh, design. With, like, the for, smoke like, and the yeah, water like and stuff like that. Especially with yeah. the smoke and the water mm-hmm. that it... Um, if you've seen the Book of Kells... Yes, yes, I have. It's really, it's really, like kind of reminiscent of that yeah where book of kells is like trying to uh do like an illuminated manuscript almost and that yeah that movie is amazing yeah and i feel like that same thing is present in mulan where it's trying to evoke the feel of old uh like chinese uh depictions of battles yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I know the the credits actually for Mulan were done on rice paper actually. Oh, so cool. that's why they yeah, they kind of look like it's uh like it's painted. I don't know what the Japanese calligraphy thing is called, but it's painted like that. So it looks awesome. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's your favorite one you said, right? Or um is... well, it's between that and Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast was actually uh the like one of my first memories is like watching Beauty and the Beast on VHS uh, up at like a friend's cabin or like my parents' friend's cabin or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, And that movie has always stuck with me. It's one of my mom's favorite movies too. Um, So yeah, I love Beauty and the Beast. It's my top Disney movie. Uh, I I think we've talked a little bit before about how just in general, the story of Beauty and the Beast is amazing. (laughs) Like not even as a Disney film, but just like the fairy tale itself, Mm -hmm. I feel like has been very formative in how in my ethos, like the way that I look at people, um, it, cause it mirrors that, uh, like, you know, in the Bible, when, uh, like talking to, when God is talking to Samuel, like choosing the next King of Israel. And, uh, you know, he's, he goes to the sons of Jesse and he sees that first, like the oldest son and he's like man this would make a great king and god says no uh man eventually works his way down man looks at the outward appearance but god looks at the heart yeah and i'm like dude that's beauty and the beast right there like (laughs) like having those two things in my life like that story and beauty and the beast in my life Mm -hmm. has really affected how i like just how i look at the world yeah and uh this this movie i Probably more than any other one, maybe Under the Sea from 
Little Mermaid, like I remember singing the songs from it. Okay. Like growing up, I the the Gaston song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially I I just really love the the multiple ways that this movie tries to reinforce that lesson of not focusing on the outward appearance mm-hmm. of things to look deeper into them and uh you know it's it's got the it's got the character of Belle where everybody kind of judges her on her outward appearance but right from the outset they say she's beautiful but she's kind of weird mm-hmm. you know quirky. like they they recognize the dual nature of her mm-hmm. and then the rest of the movie is kind of the unpacking of these dual natures with the beast being very ugly on the outside, but and being ugly on the inside, mm-hmm. but that changing over time. And then also Gaston, who is beautiful from the outside and everybody loves him, but on the inside is a beast. Yeah. Uh, I think like in my review, I said like just the way that they foreshadow things in the movie, like the <clears throat> first introduction we get to Gaston mm-hmm. is he's killing something. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a boar or something. No, it's a it? it's a a, bur- a, stag? a duck a duck flying okay. over. Like he's hunting. Oh, okay. So like it's, it's been a while. You know, since everybody I've is singing. Now. Yeah, everybody is singing about Belle and Belle, and then yeah. all of a sudden, like there's that break in the like at the bridge, and it's just like, pow, and you see LeFou trying to catch it, and he's like, "That was a great shot, Gaston." And he's like, "I know." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And it's just like right there. It's like great man, characterization. That is all you need to know about that character. Right <laughs> yeah. Is like I'm gonna kill things and I'm gonna brag about it yeah. for the rest of this movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I think that that's what brings that movie to life so much is the characters. Well, also the production design in that actually. Um, like I love the design of the castle. I love the design yes. of the forest. Um, when her father is like going through Lost. the woods. Yeah. Um, I remember that scene kind of scaring me as a kid or, or like when he goes fighting and, the wolves later. Yeah. Or oh, yeah, man. that scene yeah, too. Yeah, that one too. Or even when uh, like the beast goes up and uh, he like shows Belle to her father, like when he's imprisoned and mm. she, he like yeah. takes her place or whatever. I always thought that was a very powerful scene. Um, but yeah, this movie has a lot of moments where you're just like, wow, that was fantastic. And I really think it's uh, it's probably the closest like adaptation of a fairy tale we've got, like a, a great adaptation of a fairy yeah. tale we've gotten for this one. Um, yeah, and, I know Godard's uh, or Cocteau, sorry. Yeah, not, yeah, his version is really great too. But what they do great in this also is mirroring that one with uh, like like the, the chandeliers that, and stuff. Yeah, like and that like, even. and just like. You know, in that one, like, she's being served by, like, these mysterious hands and the objects mm-hmm. move on their own mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's this – in this one, they're characters. And, again, like, mirroring this lesson of not paying attention to the outward appearance, like, every character in this movie is not what they seem. Yeah. He looks like a candlestick, but he's not a candlestick. Mm-hmm. Looks like a clock, but he's not a clock. And what is the downfall of all of these townspeople? It's that they don't recognize that when they go into that <laughs> castle. They think they're going into an empty castle, and they are not. Yeah. Like, because and then they, they get attacked. <laughs> yeah, because they don't see what's underneath. Yeah. And I just, I, and then at the end, everybody is revealed for who they really are. The townspeople are revealed to be the the scared cowards that they are mm-hmm. like when they're when, because they're all like, Oh, let's kill the beast. But once they get there and there's a fight, they all run away because mm-hmm. they're all terrified and revealed for who they are. Gaston is re- revealed to be the murderer that he is. Mm-hmm. And the beast is revealed to be the self-sacrificing person that he is. 
Yeah. Like, it's just, oh, man, I could talk about this movie forever <laughs> yeah. because it just – it it is working on so many levels that you don't recognize as a kid. Yeah, and I think it's probably the reason uh, it was the first animated movie, I think, to get nominated for Best Picture, if I'm oh, yeah? correcting that. Yeah, because so, yeah, it is great. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it was. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it absolutely awesome. is. Um, um, one more note on it. Yes. Because I, I mentioned this in my review. The songs also reinforce the themes yeah. of the movie. Like, Gaston, like, I talk about how, like, song is one of the quickest avenues into a child's heart mm-hmm. because kids love to sing. I yeah. don't know why we do, but we do. And when you're going to sing a bunch of songs, it's as much as I love the song under the sea. Yeah. Under the sea is not got a lot of great moral lessons to it. Yeah. You know, but even a song like Gaston, like, the tone of the song tells you how stupid Gaston is. Yeah. Like it is making fun of him, even though he's singing in earnest and like they do just such a great job of letting the kids know through tone, which songs are kind of admirable and which ones are not like even be our guest is kind of showing that like service towards other people can be fun. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just really appreciate that about the film. No, that's awesome actually. And that leads me into a point actually that I wanted to make um, about uh, just the songs in general. Um, I think, some of the songs are actually meant to be a little bit didactic, um, and they're meant to teach the kids things. Like you mean, in like sword, a sword in the stone. Yes, in the sword <laughs> in the, the stone. One I can all, like that like, one. Every song is that yeah. way, <laughs> and that's exactly what I wanted to bring up. Actually, is sword in the stone where that movie like some of the animation isn't the best. It does feel like there's a lot of. Uh, they set the stage and then there's like four or five things that are actually animated. So a lot of times yeah. it's like we're looking at like a matte painting and then there's like, you know, four or five things that are animated on top of it that actually move. Um, but there's a ton of songs in this movie that are like, uh, this is about what you need to learn about in life later on. Like it's all about yeah. preparing the kids kind of for going forward. So even though like Sword in the Stone, I don't think is the most exciting movie in the world. This would be a movie that like if I were to have kids in ten years, this would be a movie that would be on all the time because it's it's all about it's a lesson. Yeah, teacher. it is. It's all about uh, it's all about teaching the kids that they need to. Uh, value education they need to value knowledge and they can't settle for like mediocrity um they yeah. can't wait around for fate to just kind of uh sweep them up they've got to go out and seize the day and i love that in that movie like i i think that's the only reason why i would really watch it again other than like you know it's pretty boring for most of the yeah, part. yeah. but there well, is a couple of good lessons and i would say that's like my main argument against loving the little mermaid as much because you know, a lot of the mo- a lot of the songs in it are not very meaningful. The ones that seem like they should be meaningful, like "Kiss the Girl," yeah, are just like full of I think bad messages. Yeah, like I I mean I always make fun of uh you know she <laughs> of the line uh she don't say a word and she won't say a word until you kiss the girl and I'm just like <laughs> oh man man that's well, all dated now <laughs> yeah my joke is always then why would you kiss her. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, uh, the Lion King, which is like my second favorite. That's a great one too. And we didn't Um, review that one. Yeah. It's really just a beautifully directed film. I especially love the death of Mufasa scene. I think is one of the best directed animated sequences that's ever been put together. Mm -hmm. It is so well done. You, 
because that 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 scene really does hinge a lot on character perspective mm-hmm. because you need you need Mufasa to be seeing certain things, you need Simba to be seeing certain things, but also not seeing certain other things. Mm-hmm. Uh and you have to know where these characters are in order to believe that they don't see it. It's mm-hmm. just it's just super well done. But one of the songs in the movie that and my big slam against this movie and I've talked about this many times is the song Hakuna Matata. Oh, I love Hakuna Matata. <laughs> it's a it's a fun song. Oh yeah. And I would argue that's the problem with it <laughs> is because the whole movie is about showing that that song is wrong. Yeah, but I mean it's also the story of Hamlet, like, you know, it's him going away and it's him leaving Denmark at this point and like leaving for a long time and then him coming back and he has to have some kind of uh he has to have some kind of joy in between. Yeah. I feel like it would be a very dour movie if we just had, oh, uh, like, Simba leave but and then go off other, and be depressed for five years and then come back and fight fun Scar. songs, like, in the movie. And, like, as somebody that was a kid growing up with this movie, uh, I literally remember kids saying on the playground, like, you know, when something happened, saying, like, Hakuna Matata. Like... And that's a problem because the whole movie is about how Hakuna Matata is not right. Like, no worries for the rest of your days. And, like, the turning point of the film, the growth moment for Simba is meeting Nala and then having that vision with Mufasa where he says, no, it's not no worries. You have a responsibility to the people of Pride Rock. So it's showing character development. Without that song, your character development would have totally been ruined. No, so- no, no, no. It's true. But also the problem was like I think in its tone, like like compare it to like Gaston, where Gaston is the one of the most fun songs of that movie yeah that and be our guest but it is obvious that the gaston song is not right i think you could i think you can make a song that is fun for kids and engaging but also they recognize that the message in it is incorrect i think you're waiting reading way too much into it i really do because i honestly (laughs) think like kids are not going to be able to tell the difference between a good and a bad uh song until they actually see the movie all the way through too so like gaston probably isn't a terrible guy up until the very end for most of these kids i mean like, I don't know. I'm not a kid anymore, so I'm, right. I'm it's, never going to have that perspective again. Yeah, it's happening on a subtextual level. Yeah. I just – I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I actually think Hakuna Matata is a great song. And I still think uh, – like, I, well, I think I Can't Wait to Be King is a great song too. Yeah. Because it yeah. shows how young he is when he's a child, and then it shows the growth right. of him later on. Right. So, I don't have again, a problem with it. I, I Can't Wait to Be King. I think that's a great song. I like the whole movie. It's my second favorite Disney movie. Yeah. Like, it's it's the thing that keeps it from being my number one. Okay. You know, it's like... Yeah, if, that's not a deterrent at all yeah, for me. If they, if, they, <laughs> if they nailed that one song, it might be my number one. That's fair. <laughs> so I think you're overreacting, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I don't think knocking something from one to two is that much of a, a difference. No, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever. So what's your number two? Uh... We'll probably Mulan, honestly, because it's yeah. between uh, Beauty and the Beast and Mulan. So probably Mulan is my number two. Um, but like my number three then would probably be Aladdin. So Yeah, me too. Um, I love Aladdin. I really love movies about identity. Mm-hmm. And like all 
three slash four five of these like top three picks that we've talked about mm-hmm. are really about identity. Yeah. Uh, I, again, kind of that like looking at the outward appearance and seeing like a poor person and assuming that they have no value, mm-hmm. um, even a thief that he would have no value and finding out that he does. Yeah. Um, but really his value is in like what he is learning and what he is like growing into. And especially for me, I've had issues in my life with lying like my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I think every person probably has bes- what I tend to call besetting sins that they are just like always there. It feels like mm-hmm. um, they are the ones that, this is my battle for life mm-hmm. is to try and be an honest person for some reason. That's always been one. Yeah. And Aladdin's all about that. So I think it just really resonates yeah. with me. Um, the idea of trying to put up a front and be like, be a person on the outside that everybody would admire, even though, you know, inside you're not, mm-hmm. uh, is, yeah, I don't know. That's, to me, that's just like a huge thing. Then, Robin Williams. Yeah, he's great as a uh, genie. Like I'm, I don't, I'm torn about the new one that they're doing, the live action one. Because like, what are you supposed to do in a movie about in an Aladdin movie, a remake, when you're not gonna have Robin Williams? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but Will Smith does not have the charisma of Robin Williams at all. Maybe he will for younger kids, yeah. like like people who follow maybe like. Jaden Smith and uh you know I I I I I'm kind of interested in the phenomenon of Will Smith as like all of those kids dad <laughs> like cuz if you think of like these kids who follow uh the Smiths on like uh social media and things like that yeah the main thing they know Will Smith from is just being the dad of this person this other person uh that they really care about. And so it's kind of interesting to cast him in this role um, because the genie is the one in this movie that is kind of trying to give moral lessons also, as much as he's also being the funny one. He's the one that's telling Aladdin to be yourself and, you know, all be honest, that kind yeah. of stuff. I, is Jaden Smith really that popular? Like, I guess uh, I knew he's Jaden and uh, what's the... her, his daughter. I know I can never remember their names, but I... yes, with uh, kids like, they are really they're really influential on social media like there have been times where uh they have basically caused flash mobs to happen because they started being nice to somebody at like a thing they were out at and they're like hey this person really needs our help we should just help them and people like who were nearby saw them posting it about on instagram and people just show up to help like they are super influential with like that kind of next generation that's coming hmm. up. And so I think it's an interesting casting choice, but I, I have a feeling it's totally lost on me. <laughs> I mean, Will Smith is a pretty big name. Like I'm yeah. sure a lot of people are still going to recognize him more than they're going to recognize Jaden and his daughter. So, right. But I think, especially if you think about like the kids that this movie is aimed at. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't whatever. know. I, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> How much did you pay attention to actors when you were seven years old? So, a lot le- a lot less than kids do today. Yeah. Because because social media, those people are actually accessible. Like back when we were yeah. kids, like how would you even like unless you sat and watched the credits, how would you even know 
I didn't know who Robin Williams was until I was like in middle school and high school. Like, I didn't know that he was the one doing the voice of the genie. I didn't know that that was a Jack Nicholson reference. Who's Jack Nicholson? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is (laughs) I'm doubting kids are really going to catch that many references, honestly. So I'm sure some of them are into social media, but I doubt that many kids are like, oh, Jaden Smith, Will Smith's dad, blah, blah, whatever. So yeah, yeah, I really don't think it's not going to be that big of a deal. I don't know. I'm... I will just, wait for the I'm fallout just, because I'm that would be an interesting in article it. to hear. I'm really so. interested in that because I, I think that's one of the weird ways that our world has changed since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any movies you want to go back and revisit? I kind of want to revisit Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, um, especially after reading Carl, Carl's yeah. review. I, I know cow. my uh, my brother kind of likes that one. Uh Actually, I'll real quick, let me find it on Facebook. Here. He was telling me that this one is like a lot darker. Like he was telling me that uh, one of the first scenes they have uh, like a baptism and the pastor is like, this is a demon and I am saving it from hell. And he dips it in water. I'm like, that's pretty intense for a kid's movie. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. what the heck? It is really dark. Um, I, But me now, I, I would probably having, gravitate towards that. As so. a kid, I remember having a crush on Esmeralda. In that movie, Demi Moore. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I remember hearing the Gypsy. Yeah, yeah. So it's whatever. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a really, uh, I think it's a good movie. I don't know the songs from it though. Uh, it was right on kind of the the tail end of the movies that I saw mm-hmm. uh, growing up. Uh, actually, I've got a, a Facebook message here. I uh, threw up before we recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, like. Hey, what are your favorite Disney movies and why? Uh, Virginia Anzengruber, who yep. uh, I was on her podcast last week, actually. Yes, so yeah. uh, if you guys uh, want to check it out, it's a discussion on um, grief and parasocial relationships, uh, especially with like Game of Thrones ending and uh, like Star Wars, the trilogy ending up. And uh, we really talk a lot about Marvel's uh, Avengers Endgame. But uh, yeah, check that out. It's called uh, Listening at the Fire. Uh, but she commented on here that uh, her favorite movie is uh, her favorite Disney movie is Hercules. Okay, and she said it's legit the best sa- soundtrack in her opinion. Okay, I uh, I I have heard other people say that. I think my brother likes that soundtrack the best too. It's kind of like a like black gospel yeah uh, soundtrack a lot of the way through. Uh, again, that was kind of after my Disney day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things in that movie that. I don't know. I just also like Greek mythology. It was a it was a tough sell for me as somebody who like loved Clash of the Titans and Jason and the Argonauts and everything. Like I kind of have an idea in my head of what Greek mythology should look like on screen. Yeah. I remember seeing Hercules like twice in high school. Like we were forced to watch it and I think that's the only time I've seen it. And I remember liking it. Um, I remember thinking it was far more violent than many of the uh, Disney movies I had seen. Yeah, like there's a part where like he he fights a Hydra and I think he chops off all three heads. And then there's like another part where I think he gets swallowed and he like cuts himself out of the beast. So I'm like, all right. Like, let's go. And then he, like, fights Hades at the end, too, if I remember right. So The, the one joke I always remember is the um, – I think it's Billy Crystal plays uh, his, like, sidekick who is a satyr. Yeah. He's a Jewish satyr. Yeah. 
And that's <laughs> that's a lot of what I remember about that movie. <laughs> but yeah, maybe I should revisit that yeah, one. Like it's been know. a long time. I like I said, I don't remember the music uh, that much. Yeah, I honestly think it would be interesting. Like I'm not saying I want to do this for our podcast because I'm sure there's a billion other Disney podcasts out there that would do it better than we oh, do. Oh yeah, the, like the Disney fans that are out yeah, there um, are probably like clawing their eyes out at yeah i'm sure we have opinions. completely messed up stuff for you guys so if if this is your first time listening i'm sorry that we ruined your childhood favorites um but it would be kind of interesting to watch them in chronological order to watch kind of the evolution of oh, disney yeah. films i feel like or at least like by decade like start with like you know uh snow white and like uh pinocchio and, like, work our way up into the 50s yeah. and 60s um, just to kind of see the evolution. Like, I'm sure, uh, like, we were talking about, like, story seems to take off a little bit more in the 80s and 90s. And mm-hmm. I feel like even in the, like, 2000s, uh, like, Pixar has been a huge driving force, I feel like, for story over, like, uh, pizzazz, I would want to call it. Yeah, and really kind of the, like, if you think of it as, like, the death of the classic princess era mm-hmm. like with things like even mulan mm-hmm. and then uh like going up into frozen and uh moana things like that like tangled. I, yeah i really love moana i, think, I love tangled so yeah yeah, yeah moana is like one of my it's probably my top 10 disney movies like mm-hmm. it's really really great um actually uh another really interesting uh kind of like kind of subgenre of Disney movie is like the non-musical ones. Uh that are animated too? Yeah, like yeah. uh Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, I love that one too actually. I, mean, I like yeah, I really like Emperor's New Groove a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's a li- it's probably David Spade's best movie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know if the cuz I was older when I saw it the first time cuz yeah. I was older when it came out. I don't know if kids loved it or not. Oh, I did. Because I was, I was okay. a kid. I remember going to go see it in theaters, and then I remember buying it when it came out on blue or DVD, actually. Okay, great. I, yeah, great. I, re- I remember specifically buying the DVD and watching it, like, seven times. So Okay, yeah. cool, cool. I loved it. But... Yeah, I did, I, like, because I didn't see it till I was an adult. I didn't really, like, young adult, but I didn't really know what its like ability yeah. for kids was. I thought I just, Kronk was the best. So <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. He's really, really Him doing funny. his own theme the, song thing still makes me laugh. The too, movie so. is such a great, it's just, it's very simple, <laughs> Yeah, but it's also like the jokes in it. It really it, works still. It's one of the most packed, like joke filled Disney mm-hmm. movies. I think that there is like, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a straight up hilarious buddy comedy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I watch that one at family video all the time. I throw that on. Yeah. I just uh, like, you'll hear a line in the background, kind of like princess bride or Monty Python, where I've just seen it so many times. And just like that one line will yeah. come out and like squeak squeakums or something like that. And just make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, you know, ex- like, or uh, no, Yzma, put your hands in the air. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Look at this guy. Talk about your belief. <laughs> <laughs> also, my my cousin Mike does a really great Kronk impression. So I have a lot of fond memories of those quotes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, no, it is kind of funny. I, I honestly wouldn't be opposed to coming back to more Disney movies at some point. Like, I know we've got a billion other things to talk about. But, like, I feel like just coming to this, we've mm-hmm. barely scratched the surface of, like, what there is to dive into. Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't even really talked about 
all of the Disney movies that I specifically like. Yeah. Like if I if I were to pick out, you know, what ones I love and which ones I want to talk about, we really as much as I have problems with like Little Mermaid, I do like Little Mermaid. Yeah, and like it's been a long time for me, but the only thing I can remember about that movie is not caring about whether or not she got to shore. And I was like <laughs> I was like that's the whole point of the movie. So it kind of ruins it for me. But if, uh, you don't, if you don't care about like you know the main character's main motivation. <laughs> yeah. I was like why does she want to get to shore to see what it's like? Okay. So she can walk around and then she can go back to the sea. It doesn't really matter to me. But I don't know. I understand why a lot of, especially um, girls who are the right age when that movie came out. Well, it's like a yearning for it. a better place or something well, and like it's that. Also, and I get it. it real, it's also that, like, my parents want me, want to shelter me and they don't want me to have, they they have a specific set of, circ- of uh, experiences that they want me to have. Mm-hmm. But I want experiences that go beyond that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can understand why... Some kids really like that one. Yeah. I, like um, I said, just, I'd have to go back because it's been years because yeah. I was just like, this was. Oh, I can quote it. I can <laughs> yeah. quote it front to back. <laughs> I liked the lobster, but that was Sebastian. Sebastian. Yeah, but that was <laughs> that was about in Flounder the Fish. And I think yeah. that's all I really remember about that movie. So cool. But. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for our discussion of Disney movies. Uh, Sorry it was brief, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 45 minutes. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, I mean, but you get what you pay for comparatively. Folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to get into the rundown? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So uh, this week, uh, the first movie I wanted to talk about for uh, what I've been watching is Close Up. Uh, okay. This is a movie that Chad bought me actually for mm-hmm. Christmas. I think yeah. it was. Uh, and I've just been slow about getting to it. Uh, it's by Abbas Kiriastami. Okay. Um, I believe he's an Iranian director. Oh, cool. But uh, it's about oh, – man, it's really interesting because part of it is shot as uh, like a documentary of a court case. But part of it is also like reenacted with the subjects of that court case after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, which is amazing, like, because of the way that, like, this court case kind of resolved their issues together to where they actually would make, a, like, reenactments okay. after the fact. That's kind of interesting. Um, but – and uh, what's what's interesting is there's uh, – it's about a man who, at the beginning of it, he kind of gets uh, arrested and you, you – see like the conversation that these like reporters are kind and are kind of having uh on their way to like catch the the arrest of this guy Mm -hmm. and um what's going on is he's been posing as a famous director Mm -hmm. to this family and the family has figured it out and uh like wants to you know wants him arrested and they want to press charges on him for like fraud and trying like trying to defraud them for money and stuff Mm -hmm. uh and through the court case you like i don't want to get into it too much because it's like a really interesting yeah i do want to see this movie actually because the movie like the way it unfolds the way that it's told is what's super fascinating about it Mm -hmm. um because it just feels like it's constantly turning over a new layer um is that uh, this guy genuinely wants, genuinely is interested in filmmaking. Okay. And he never really saw it as fraud. 
He was never trying to take anything from them. Yeah. Um, he was, he saw it as he was acting. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it's just super fascinating. Kind of a, yeah. yeah. Unique perspective and everything, yeah, I'm sure. It is. Yeah. It's really interesting because it's a lot of it uh, is about like the blurred lines between reality and film. Mm-hmm. And uh, between who we project ourselves to be and who we actually are inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really, really interesting. Uh, it's in the Criterion collection. If you guys are looking for it, you can actually, uh, if you're a subscriber to the Criterion channel, you can catch it on there. Um, it's a really, really interesting film. Uh, definitely worth your time. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to talk about something, uh, that's not a movie, actually. I wanted okay. to talk about, uh, Chernobyl, which is a, oh. um, HBO miniseries that just came on. Uh, and the first episode aired, uh, this last Monday and it's, a, it's about the Ch- Chernobyl malfunction or the breakdown or whatever. Uh, so I, I, I love HBO miniseries in general. Like, uh, I think I've told mm-hmm. you to watch uh, young Pope like a billion times already. I know it takes a long time to get to it, it's but it's a fantastic <laughs> show. Um, Chernobyl within the first 10 minutes, I was already hooked on this show. It starts okay. with Jared Harris. Um, and he, it's like, uh, I think 20 years after the uh, malfunction. And he was at the time, uh, like the, he was like the head of the department of uh, energy or something like that. And he is pretty much writing down uh, what he thinks should happen to uh, the guy responsible for it. And he's like saying, uh, yeah, this guy got 10 years hard labor at a labor camp, but that's not hard enough. He deserves the, to die. For the meltdown or for the handling of the cleanup and situation afterwards? For the handling of that night specifically. Okay. Um, so when the explosion first happened and everything uh, happened, he was like, yeah, this guy doesn't deserve 10 years in labor. That's too light. He deserves to die for what happened. Hmm. Um, and then right after that, Jared Harris, uh, Harris hangs himself and we flash back. Um, to the time, like it starts almost exactly when the, uh, the reactor explodes. Um, and it kind of just walks you through, uh, like hour by hour as what's going on. So you get it from the perspective of the scientists who are working inside the actual reactor as they're, uh, trying to figure out what happened. Um, you get it from the firemen outside who are trying to put the blaze out, uh, on top. And then you also start to get it from, uh, some of the scientists who are there, uh, who are starting to piece together that this is a bigger problem than they had originally anticipated. Like, mm-hmm. uh, when the show starts out, it's like showing all these people and they're just like watching the fire from a distance and you see all this radioactive ash just start to fall down on them. Yeah. And you just get, uh, like visions of these children, like running through the ash and stuff. The entire thing is just filled with dread. And it is one of the greatest, mm-hmm. like, uh, pilot episodes I've seen in a long time. Um, I'm already like, I, I texted my brother, I texted three other friends that they needed to watch this. Um, and then we're in like a big, like chat thing, but I told everybody they needed to watch that there. (laughs) Um, I, I honestly, I loved it so much. I'm probably going to go back and rewatch it before next week. And I'm going to try and do a series of articles about it as the, uh, as the show come out. out. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. I might have to check that out. It that is sounds really absolutely good. fantastic. Um, I, I saw, like, well, the ad, uh, like just the, you know, you watch Game of Thrones and it's always got like, yep. you know, your pre-roll ads and stuff yeah. like that. And uh, I mean, it looks great. Yeah. Um, uh, the first but episode hearing your alone, description of how it unfolds and like kind of the stakes that they lay out from the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah. Uh, I feel like really helps sell what the, 
what the idea of it is because like at first i was just like okay so it's going to be about chernobyl and i kind of know a little bit about what happened so is this to me it's, it was it was kind of like is this going to be like titanic where no. it's like basically uh like just personal drama within the tragedy that's happening uh but yeah like what you're saying about it for me this is this is kind of a wake up call too it's kind of like okay yeah we're messing with nuclear energy like we all are um yeah. like i i know like we've obviously improved since the 80s when this happened yeah. but um i mean the way it's they still look something at this, you have to be yeah exactly about the, like the way that they portray this is kind of like yeah we don't know what we're messing with and like there's we're one inch away from uh like a guy touching a piece of graphite and like literally blisters appearing on his fingers like seconds later and like blood pouring out of his hands um like there's there's shots of like guys going and they see the nuclear reactor like opening and they come back and their faces have already started to change because of the radiation from it and it's just like getting that idea of how how powerful nuclear uh energy really is uh, it's just, I don't know, like it kind of puts it all in perspective. Like you get the idea that, uh, there's a nuclear power plant a million miles away or whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And then you see the damage that like something so small can something actually cause. Yeah. And you're like, holy cow, like this is, we're messing with forces we don't know anything about. So I don't know. It is well, absolutely fascinating. Like back then when, I mean, like, like you said, they were like just now, starting to figure it now out too. We know a little bit more about it and uh, there are some like safer ways of handling it. Oh, I'm it, sure. I'm but, still freaked out but, about it now yeah, after watching that. Then, it's like just discovering like the first time that they do, like you imagine like the first time that they start doing this, like nobody had, nobody <laughs> realized that if you just looked at the thing, it was going to do that to yeah. you. <laughs> I need, I mean, like when did this happen exactly? Let's see. Uh, Chernobyl happened in 86. Oh, so, 86. Um, wow. and I mean, it's what, 33 years later and people still yeah. can't stay there for very long because of the radiation. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean, that's really, that's what we're messing with guys. I don't know. It's fantastic. Uh, just watching the show <laughs> nope, got nope, me nope. so, it got me so amped. Um, well, it's de- yeah, it definitely has you, uh, has, it seems like it has you on the edge of your seat. Oh yeah. I was super excited about it. Yeah. Like I said, I'm probably going to go back and rewatch it again. So yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. What else are you watching? Uh, so I, uh checked out uh the movie Everybody Knows. Uh oh, yes, which was on uh, Pre Street at work. So like at Family Video, we get the movies like three days before they come out, you mm-hmm. know, so that if there's problems with shipping or whatever, we still get them on time. Mm-hmm. And as an employee, you're not allowed to rent them for the first two weeks, but you can have them for those three days. <laughs> so uh this one is a oh shoot, who directed this one? Um Asgar Farhadi. Oh yeah, Asgar Farhadi. I think yeah. it is Farhadi. The guy who did there it is, the Farhadi. past and a separation and and uh, the salesman. Yes. Uh, and this is just a fantastic film. Um, I wish we had more copies of it at work because also it is a Spanish language film. Okay. And uh, we have a lot of Latinos around uh, the, in our like customer range. Mm-hmm. And every time we have a Spanish language film, we can't keep it on the shelf (laughs) because for some reason, family video doesn't know to send us more of them. (laughs) But uh, man, this is such a great film. It's got Javier Bardem in it, Penelope Cruz, Mm -hmm. and they're really like top of their game in this movie too. 
the supporting cast is also amazing. And what's really great about Asghar Farhadi's movies is that they're they're like mysteries, but they are not, for lack of a better word, they're just not American mysteries. They're not procedurals. They're not about cops trying to figure things out. They're about family interactions and how a crisis in a family can cause revel family revelations yeah that cause discord yeah like a separation i think is one that you're definitely talking about there right right and this one too yeah this one is like that where something happens and because of this thing happening uh all of these undercurrent feelings that everyone in the family has about javier bardem's character Mm -hmm. come to light and uh yeah it's one of those it happens in a small town and kind of the title of the movie is everybody knows Mm -hmm. because it's kind of about the fact that like part of the reason they can't figure out who what happened is that like the things that you would typically say like okay well this is the person who did this knew this well everybody knows that yeah everybody knows this so it's just like who could it be yeah uh, it's that's kind of awesome. Actually. Yeah, it's it's really fan. Like everyone knows this, but nobody has talked about it. Yeah, like so. What do you? How do you figure out who did this? Yeah, um, it's really fantastic. Uh, I it's a it's one of those movies that I was kind of like a separation where you constantly feel like, oh, okay, I know who did this. Yeah, you're and like second you find, guessing yourself and then you the find entire out, time. You're like, oh wait, no, 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 maybe they, maybe that person did it. Yeah. Oh shoot, maybe that person did. And by the end of it you're like, "Okay. <laughs> who did this?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fantastic if you love a love a good family drama or mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh this one is super super worth your time. Awesome. <laughs> like definitely need to start going down the road of this guy's movies cuz this is the second one by him that I'm like like Five stars. I I love when you find a director that you just click with too, and you're like, oh man, you and I are gonna have some good times, ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> like that was me with Mike Lee. I feel like last year and where I was just, just like, like seven of these films right in a row. I like, can't wait to watch. All these. <laughs> yep. No, I I have definitely had directors <laughs> like that, but yeah, no, that's awesome when you stumble on something. Cool. Um, What's I, next for you? I watched uh, – oh, so recently I got my tax returns back, and my only big purchase this year was to upgrade uh, my Universal box set. So okay. I went from the – Oh, that's right. Yeah, so I went from the 8-film collection to the 30-film collection, um, and, and I started watching Universal some of those. Universal monster films. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So um, I watched uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, yeah. and man, was this movie fun. Um, really? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a comedy. So Abbott and Costello were a, duo, a comedy duo back in the 40s. Um, and it is pretty much just about two, uh, they're like shipping people and they get wrapped up with Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman. Um, and they just have a bunch of wacky hijinks, but it is absolutely hilarious. Um, there's a bunch of physical comedy. There's a bunch of, uh, great word, uh, wordplay and stuff like that too. Um, but the way that it plays out is just like absolutely hilarious. It fits. That really surprises me because I, I always assumed it was just like kind of a gimmicky cheesy thing. Oh no, no. Uh, actually like I've watched a couple of the Abbott and Costello movies actually at this point. Um, yeah. I remember watching them, uh, with my parents actually when we were younger, like oh, okay. we never watched, uh, like the mummy or anything like that, but we watched Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Um, and we watched like Abbott and mm. Costello. I, I think there's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's like a dozen of them. Yeah. But, uh, 
Um, yeah, I watched this one and it was just delightful. Um, I laughed a ton during this movie. Uh, a lot of the jokes were still perfectly paced. Um, I think uh, Bud Cast- or Lou Costello is absolutely hilarious, and I think uh, Bud Abbott is a pretty great straight man. Um, but yeah, I was absolutely thrilled with that movie, and I'm really cool. excited cool. to watch some of the other ones. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. So my last uh, rundown movie today is Mulholland Drive. Oh, because <laughs> um, I love Lynch. Yeah, uh, I watched Eraserhead earlier this year for the first or last year, late last year for the mm-hmm. first time. I watched Dune last week, and <laughs> I decided to keep going down that Lynch rabbit hole. Um, I'd seen Mulholland Drive. Man, this is back when I lived at my parents, um, and. I remember knowing enough that I should watch it when my parents weren't home. Because <laughs> I was, you know, I'm in my 20s or whatever. Yeah. And because uh, this is a this is a pretty sexual one. Yeah. Um, but I just love the way that Lynch plays with fear and dread and like revelation of the way he sets a stage, I feel like, particularly yeah. in Mulholland Drive, is great because there's like so much tension that it's... seems like it's there before you even get there. Yeah, the and first, I don't know how. Like, yeah, that first scene in the diner. <laughs> yeah, is just like ah, <laughs> like that guy in the back alley is just like is one of the most like that scene where they where he sees him for that first time is like rooted in my mind of like the most terrifying things that could happen <laughs> and it's because of the it's not even that the guy is so spooky it's that the way the conversation where he's telling him about this dream mm-hmm. it's the way that this character relates that dream mm-hmm. that gives that moment of revelation, so much weight and import that you're just like terrified when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just Lynch is just a master of creating an emotional reaction, creating an atmosphere in oh, general. I feel man. like, like a racer head. We could talk about the atmosphere in that movie all day and never like stop because that movie is 99% atmosphere. I feel like, um, but yeah, it it kind of breeds to his other films too. Yeah, like, and he does such a great job too of like, uh, like he knows that there's this scene where uh, Naomi Watts' character is going to be like she's got to wow these producers, right? Mm-hmm. And like she has to like what's amazing about this scene is the way that she slows the pace of it and she like uh like kind of. Uh, sexualizes the words that she's script reading for. Um, she like creates this like vulnerable aggression in it. But he also knows that if you just do that scene, like people are just going to kind of watch that scene and be like, oh, okay, so that's her take on this character and all that, you know. Uh, but like to heighten it even more, he lets you have a scene with her practicing those lines with her roommate first yeah (laughs) so that you can see like what she's thinking with this character and see that like okay she's kind of performing this like any other actor would Mm -hmm. so when she goes into that room and does something different it just like it takes it to a whole other level that you are not expecting you're expecting like that same rote thing Mm -hmm. and it's something else and 
man subversion like, of expectations it really is it's, <laughs> yeah it's not just subversion of expectations it's setting your expectations and then subverting them. yeah it's like it's so brilliant yeah I, uh I, this is definitely not a movie for everybody. Uh, <laughs> None of Lynch's films are, I would say. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's, but as far as like kind of, man, how do you do, even describe, like what do you genreify this as? Like a thriller noir? Yeah. Thriller fantasy. noir <laughs> fantasy horror kind of. Like there's a little horror yeah. dread element to it. Yeah. Especially like with that even the cowboy thing later. Like <laughs> like is great. Uh like it just I feel like Lynch does a really amazing job of hinting at a supernatural world just beneath ours. Yeah. Like almost the idea of if you think of it like in fantasy novels or like D D or things like that where they have like the Feywild. Mm-hmm. Um but instead of it being like this magical whimsical place it is this devastating place uh yeah kind of like if we watched the endless last year um yeah and if you think about like the presence that kind of looms over that entire society that's mm-hmm. kind of how i think of uh lynch sometimes as he looms yeah. over his directorial work like yeah. he's just like yeah no i'm gonna create this evil and, ominous and, and, presence and he also does a great job of because Lynch himself is such a personality of doing kind of like the Hitchcockian thing in his own way where mm-hmm. like he never talks about his films mm-hmm. and what he means by them. <laughs> and it creates even more of an air of mystery around it because he refuses to explain anything yeah, ever. I, I think one of my favorite quotes was when somebody was like, uh, so what's your most spiritual film? And he was like, I think Eraserhead is my most spiritual film. And he was like, expound on that. And he was like, no, <laughs> like, like that's great to me. Like let the work speak for itself. I yeah, think so. Yeah, I think so too. Cause like one of the things that I, it's one of the things that part of why I'm maybe not into like fan culture as much as other people are yeah. is because I really think that a person's art should stand on its own. It yeah. shouldn't need explanation. If it needs explanation, then like you didn't, you didn't do your job as an artist. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. I, but I also think uh, vague meanings can also lead to further depth, too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Which is, yeah. Yeah. We, so, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll there's have, a there's we'll, We could talk we'll, about it. We'll have a Lynch week someday. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> so, we both love Lynch, so that will not be hard to convince me to do that. So, cool, cool. But, yeah. Uh, did you have any more uh, movies for the rundown? Yeah. I guess I, sorry, give me one second. I want to see what I want to talk about. No, this is a super polished show. I'm sorry, you have to have everything right at the ready. <laughs> oh yes, okay. Um, have I talked about Bedeviled yet? I don't think I have. No. Okay, so this is a. I believe it's a South Korean film. It might be Japanese. Let me. Oh, check we texted really about quick. it. I yes. think. Um, yes, it's a Korean film. So this is a movie that I had heard about a couple years ago. Um, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, I couldn't even find a torrent for it. Sorry, I don't do that. Um, I couldn't, but yeah. I couldn't I, find a torrent for it because I wasn't looking for yes, one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I couldn't even find one of those. Uh, so eventually I was like, I had given up on this and it just showed up on Amazon Prime and I was like gleeful about it. Um, but it's pretty much just about a woman who is stuck on an island and she's being abused by uh, her husband and her husband's uh, family pretty much. Uh, not just like physical abuse, but sometimes sexual abuse. Uh, even the mom of the husband is like forcing the girl to, um, 
like do slave labor pretty much. Mm. Um, so she's just living this horrible life. Um, and she keeps writing letters to different people, um, asking them pretty much to help her escape. Um, and eventually this one letter goes to, uh, this girl from Seoul and she had just gotten in trouble, uh, at her work. So she decides to take a vacation. Um, she goes to go visit her friend and she kind of witnesses her friend, uh, fall apart and, uh, eventually snap and just go crazy, um, and like kill everybody on the Island. But the entire, <laughs> the entire <Wow>. movie <laughs> is actually, uh, it's meant to convey a theme and the theme is pretty much if you are a witness, if you uh, know that somebody is being victimized and you don't do anything, you are totally at fault for what is happening to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that theme is extremely well uh, put together and the way that they do it in this movie uh, is extremely prevalent and it like really hit home. Um, it might be a very violent movie. Uh, it is also kind of messed up in a lot of ways in the very beginning, but, uh, the themes are extremely great. Um, and I really think like, this is a four star movie sounds, for me. Uh, that sounds like one I might check out. Cause, um, I've yeah. had like experiences like that, like yeah. where, you know, uh, our old apartment where we lived, like the downstairs neighbors, like you would hear them fist fight. Yeah. Like the, the couple that lived there and you're just like man, what do I do? Like, yeah. do I call the police? Like they both want to be in that relationship. Yeah. Like, I don't know why they do, but mm-hmm. they do like, Oh man. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was just, it's a very, like it, it kind of just, it forces you to just stick your face in it and just kind of look at the ugliness of the situation. Movies like that can be super powerful. And yes, this movie was extremely powerful and it also was, uh, I mean, it is a little bit predictable because you you pretty much know that, like, after the girl snaps, you kind of know exactly where the movie is going to go from there. Um, But it kind of feels a little bit like uh, Revenge, if you remember that movie from last year. Um, The Matilda Lutz or whatever her name was, uh, she, like, got kidnapped. Or she she was with her... Uh, the guy that she was having an affair with, and then she got raped. I, and then, I think you did. I think we watched it together, actually. Yeah. Uh, it was like a super gory French extremist thriller. But I don't uh, know. You can I'll check let, out my review. Yeah, you I'll can check re- out my review if, if re- you want. Yeah, if I read your <laughs> so, review, that'll tell. That'll yeah. jog my memory. Yes. Probably. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it felt a lot like that movie too, or like uh, I, I spit on your grave, or like Last okay. House on the Left. Um, it kind of has that uh, tone, but it says like a thousand more things than any of those movies ever do. So great because that's typically why those other movies kind of get slammed. I yeah. think like it feels like those are just very exploitative, like providing something so horrible and just calling it entertainment. Yes. Whereas this movie you said is like trying to make a commentary about something and, and don't exactly make, like I, make you face something that you wouldn't normally face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I like this movie a lot more than like uh last house on the left. I do feel like is very exploitive. Um, I feel like it's pretty much just like, let's show you a horrible rape. So then we can show you a bunch of horrible murders and you won't feel bad about it. Um, yeah. Or like we can justify her killing a bunch of people in horrible ways. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Um, I'm she could sure have killed be- them without getting raped. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have had as much sympathy for her. But yeah, no, I mean, like those movies are fine. They have their place. Um, they don't do a ton for me, but this movie did a lot for me. So yeah. Cool. Cool. Absolutely worth watching. And now on Amazon Prime. Well, I think that's probably going to do it for us this week then. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about silent films, which I, I'll i admit I was a little tepid on when you suggested I it. And kind I was of just too. like, I was just like, all right, I guess we got to do it. Like, we're going to talk about films. We got to talk about the early films. Yeah. But as I've watched them, I've 
I've actually added a couple more silent films to my list, and I'm like, maybe if I get time, I'll review a couple extra ones. Like that's uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling too. Actually, I was really nervous about going into the Gold Rush. I was like, I love Chaplin, but I got to be in the right mood. And yeah. you know, it just there's a couple things that hit me in the right way. So I'm excited for next week. Yeah, actually. yeah. So, so uh, hopefully we uh, hopefully we will have some really fun conversations about that because. Uh, I think it's gonna be interesting because I uh, got some like comedies in there, but also like some serious, uh, mm-hmm. some serious silent films, which uh, is interesting to me because uh, like especially in film school and stuff, most of the silent films I watched were comedies. Yeah, I think um, I watched like Passion of Joan of Arc, and that was the only not com- well, and like Birth of a Nation, and that was the only not yeah, comedy yeah. that I watched. Oh, so. Birth of a Nation. Three hours of yeah, we won't, <laughs> three we, hours of KKK. We won't be reviewing that on the site because I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> oh man, I may, but it'll be years. It's so one those, <laughs> it's one of those movies that you only watch as an assignment. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, hopefully, yeah <laughs> never. Mind, I'm going to stop about that. We're not going to talk about Birth of a Nation now. <laughs> well, hopefully, you guys will uh, check us out and uh, comment on some of our posts on Facebook, on Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, give us some feedback. As you heard earlier, we do try and uh, read your feedback when we uh, I'm going to throw out some questions probably next Thursday or whatever. The few hours before we actually get on to talk about silent films and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, also, you can always ch- head on over to truemythmedia.com and you'll find hundreds of movie reviews at this point uh we've been pretty excited about where things are going yeah uh feeling really great about the direction that the site is taking and kind of the uh like we've already planned out like the next year of podcasts and everything so So it's not going away get ready guys yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh it's it's kind of an exciting time for us right now i'm feeling really great we have had a lot of growth in the last couple of months so we are excited thank you guys for listening too yeah thank you for your fandom thank you for sharing uh like our posts and stuff i do see uh you know you out there virginia yeah my dad like anybody that's uh like sharing our stuff we really appreciate it you guys make doing this podcast shout feel less like shouting into the void yes (laughs) that is a very motivating (laughs) yes it is so i'll say thank you one more time and farewell friends peace you ready virgil